Hey, good morning. I don't know if any of you feel that watching that um, watching that bumper, but of course she like puts a lot of pressure on the message, right? You know, it's like, hey, just, this is gonna be a message just like that. It's not. It's just gonna be a regular message. Um, I'm Charlie, lead pastor here. I want to welcome you too. If you're new, really glad that you're here and got to talk to a few of our college students this morning. Really glad that you guys are here and back. And um, speaking of such things, um, we it's been kind of emotional week or so for us. Our middle. Our middle daughter, Lauren, we uh, dropped her off at the U of A, and um, so we got two in college now. Had uh, we got a senior and a freshman. Our oldest, Maylie, will be a senior, and uh, Lauren is a freshman. And we had our bid day yesterday. If you know what that is, uh, is you get the sorority picking ceremony or whatever. And um, Lauren is going to be a kappa along with her older sister, and so they're both really, really excited about that, and really excited, you know, uh, for them the year that they're going to get to have and. It's a really stressful, chaotic, what felt like 17 hours, but it was only just a couple of just surrounding and hype and screaming. But even as uncomfortable and, and hard as it was for a dad in that environment, or at least this dad, um, I was sitting there looking at the pictures this morning online and just, just tearing up, looking at the two of them, and just, uh, again, just the love that they have for each other and the excitement that they're going to have this year. And, you know, then it just you know makes a dad nostalgic, you know, just kind of thinking about kind of all the different seasons that we've been in over the last almost 22 years now of being a parent, and we're just, you know, a couple of seasons away, you know, from launching them completely out, and you just see a lot of different things, a lot of different seasons that you go through, a lot of different frustrations and excitements and things, and I try not to be this guy, Uh, I try not to be the guy who's always looking at other parents and kind of critiquing them, but it's kind of how I live my life. I'm just like always noticing things and like, and and just evaluating kind of like parents and then me kind of parent all these different kinds of things. And I noticed as kids are going through these different stages, there's really kind of two different types of frustrations that parents go through. Um, and w- w- one is uh, you're you're frustrated with your kid over age appropriate behavior. And then you're frustrated with your kid about uh, age inappropriate behavior. What do you mean? So, so for example, we, most people who've ever had a newborn have been through this, where you've got this newborn, and they're, like, they're just a couple of weeks old, and they're crying and they won't stop. And so then you start yelling at the kid, right? Why won't you stop crying? What do you want? What do you need? You just tell me what it is you want, and I will do it, right? And what 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 the two week old going to say back? Right, there's nothing two-year-old, I mean, two-week-old can do. Like, and so you're frustrated, not because the kid is doing anything inappropriate for for the age. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just frustrating, you know. But you've got a two-year-old pulling the same move, right? That's a different kind of frustration. It's like you should be able, to, like, stop, right? You, he's like, like, there's, they have some tools in my belt. Metaphorically, tools in the belt, not tools is a belt. I mean, you do you, I guess. Um, some things you can, you can do the kid to, to, to stop. But then you can also get age, uh, get frustrated with them in age-appropriate ways too because here's what happens is the kid's, the kid's two, or bare, not quite two, right? And you think he's doing something. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to reason with him. Now, ex- now excuse me, Tim. You need to understand that what you're doing is not appropriate. Here we are. We're in Walmart, and we don't scream in Walmart. Have you seen anyone else screaming in Walmart, Tim? We don't do that, Tim. And, like, and then like you feel like you read a parenting book. It's like, I can use logic and reason with my two-year-old. 
And then the two-year-old doesn't respond, and now there's two people screaming in Walmart, you and Timmy, right? And, and, and so we get frustrated. Sometimes right, for, for a two-year-old being a two-year-old, but sometimes we get a frustrated two-year-old acting like one-year-old. Or your preschooler still acting like a toddler. Or your, your elementary-age kid still acting like a preschooler. Or your teenager still, you know, you just, you, I, I thought we were past this stage. And, and you can get frustrated. And the thing that you're hoping for, and the thing that you're hoping for is, is the moment in which your kid realizes that there are other people in the world other than them. Right? It's like, or I'll, I'll say it differently. It's like for, for the longest time, it's like, so the kid, like a little big kid, doesn't know anything, right? But then eventually a kid's like, wait a second, there's me and there's all these people around me that are in my life to serve me. Like there's me and all the minions, and a kid meets somebody new, it's like, what job do you do, new minion? Right? And it's like every person outside uh, of you exists to serve you. And you want your kid to kind of break through that and realize, hey, my responsibility in this world also is to serve these people who are serving me. And I'm not going to take a shot at my 21-year-old or my 18-year-old and say, hey, that they could still stand to, to, to learn that lesson, right? I'm not going to take it because, because here's what to do. If, if I was going to take a shot at them about that, you know who else I'd have to take a shot at? You, right? Me, all of us. Can we all agree that maybe at least a little bit from time to time we're still stuck in that stage? There's me and all these people around me, and these people around me exist to do something for me. And if I'm talking to you, and I'm getting to know you, and I can't figure out how you being in my life helps me, then what's the point of you? And so then, then, then we become this incredibly selfish person, and we have really weird, awkward relationships. And, and, the, and the more different areas of our life we translate it into, the worse it gets. And sometimes we can translate this into our, our spiritual life as well. Right? Like, the church exists for me. All these people that serve on Sunday morning, they're here for me. Or one step further. This is kind of an interesting question. Does God exist for you, or do you exist for God? Is God here to serve you, or are you here to serve God? Now, part of you wants to make that question a little bit, the answer a little bit complicated, and maybe a little bit of it it is. Because there's a little bit of both to that, isn't it? Right? I mean, God is here for you. God does serve you. God does incredible things for you. He loves you. He does incredible things. But that's not the nature of the relationship. Really, the nature of the relationship is the other direction. And God is just blessing. But all of our relationships really need to have a little bit of that. Where it's like, I'm giving and I'm receiving. But too often, in our family relationships, in our personal, you know, our friends, and especially, I think, in our spiritual relationships, we get stuck in this idea that this is really all about me. And so what we're going to be doing um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the, at the book of Acts. We're looking at the book of Acts, and um, we're going to see um, the disciples trying to break out of the stage. Because up until this point, their relationship with God, with Jesus, is just about what Jesus is doing for them. And they're breaking out of this. They're breaking out of the stage. What we're going to be looking at is, is their incredible faithfulness 
to do and be who God has called them to be. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, if you go to the New Testament, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all named after the author, but they're essentially four different accounts of the story of Jesus. And then you go from that to the book of Acts, which really is kind of a sequel to the book of Luke. Same guy wrote both of them. So like this is what happened when Jesus was alive, and then this is the answer to the question, what happened next? We know what Jesus did, but how did this movement that is, that is given his name, Christianity, how did it become a thing? How, what did its followers do after Jesus was gone? And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at their successes, their failures, and see how that should impact us as who God has called us to be. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 starting in verse 3. So Luke is kind of narrating this to his audience, this guy that he wrote, specifically he wrote this book for. So he's narrating this a little bit before we get into the story. Verse 3, after his suffering, talking about Jesus, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, his disciples. So after Jesus suffered, he presented himself uh, to his disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now stop right here and make sure we understand what's going on. So Jesus with his disciples here. He's like, I need you to be here in Jerusalem because something really cool is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to baptize you. Baptize being this word that's kind of has this like over, overtake, completely immerse you in, right? And so, the, so you were baptized in water. That's the thing that John was doing. This is going to be something different. And the, and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in a way that you've never experienced before. But you need to stay here and you need to all be together. Because this power, God's power, is going to come on you in, an, in, a, in a really awesome way. And so then they have a question. So is this the time that then you're going to restore uh, the kingdom of Israel back to Israel? Like, what does that mean? Right, right. So Israel is this nation. If you look at the Old Testament, there's kind of this cycle that they go through of obedience and faithfulness to God. Then God blesses them, and then they, they turn away from God. God punishes them in some way. And most of the Old Testament is kind of a repeating of this cycle. It ultimately gets to the point where it's so bad where ultimately they are, they are conquered and then ultimately exiled. And we see the story of the exile. We see the story of them returning, trying to rebuild their nation. But even the nation they're rebuilding is still under the control of a, of a foreign empire. But God has made a promise. Hey, there will come a time when I'm going to give you your, your country back. And I'll give you your kingdom back. And then in between... The Old Testament and New Testament is just kind of a story of one group conquering another group, conquering another group, and Israel is just kind of stuck there, just kind of amongst whoever the regional power is, with just a very brief window, very brief window of independence. But by and large, for generations and generations, all that they've known is occupation. And so what they expected when the Messiah is to come, the Savior is to come, the Son of God is going to come, if you're who you say you are, you're going to be the one that fulfills this promise. You're going to come here and you're going to make Israel its own kingdom again. And so for the longest time, they're real confused with what Jesus is doing. I don't know what feeding the poor has to do with any of this. I don't know what healing the sick has to do with any of this. And then Jesus would say, listen, I'm going to be 
tortured and punished and, 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 and then brutally murdered. They didn't understand. Like, that doesn't make any sense. What does that, how does that get us closer to you becoming the king? And so they bore with him because they believed in him, but he wasn't, didn't seem to be making progress on the agenda. And the agenda is kicking out the Romans, and you're going to be the king. And when you're the king, we're going to kind of be the princes and the governors and the, and the, um, uh, the generals. We're going to be... So we, we've kind of hung with you as we've done whatever this other thing that is that you did. And now that you've died on the cross, whatever that was about. Now, is this when you're going to get to become the king and we get to be rule Israel together? Now when you're going to do that. Verse 7 is his answer. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Do you read a little attitude in that? I mean, like, you know, like a simple no. Like, like, no, it's not, not right now. I mean, that's that's enough of an answer, isn't it? It's like, it is, and it's, this is not even your concern. Why are you even bringing this up? Why are you talking about when you get when I'm going to rule Israel and you get to be free and you get to operate in this way? Why is this even coming up? It's like it's like just frustration, probably three years of frustration with them is just kind of coming out a little bit in this moment. Have you been paying attention at all? What have we been doing over the last three years? We have been loving and hurting loving and, and, and helping the hurting and the broken. That's what we've been doing. We've been, we've been healing the sick and, and feeding the hungry and taking the people who are completely broken by a messed up idea of what it means to have a relationship with God and telling them how they can really experience a new, fresh, dynamic relationship with God. And then I suffered this so that I could die for them and, and be able to re- restore them personally and so they can be forgiven. And, and you, and all you can think about right now is this one thing. So for three years, this is all we've done. And I tell you, God's Spirit's going to come on you in a powerful way. And somehow you think what I'm going to ask you to do is something very different than what we've been doing for the last three years. Why are you even even asking the question? The problem is because they're a little bit stuck. They're stuck in the way that we all get stuck. They're they're stuck in the way that that we've been talking about. And we'll say it this way, is that we have to move beyond what's in this room. You know, Jesus did something really cool for them because there was a time three years ago when they were the ones that were hurting and broken and lost and hungry and weren't sure where to go and were confused about what it meant to have a relationship with God. And, and, and God did something really cool to them. And Jesus really loved them and healed them and then took them with him as he, as he spread this love all over the region. And, and it was cool that they got to be a part of that and got to see Jesus do it. And you would think that somehow in their mentality, as they're catching and seeing Jesus' heart, this awesome thing that he did for them and this awesome thing now that, that with them they're doing for all these other people, that something would have clicked in their mind. Th- this is what we're about, taking the hope and love of God to desperate and broken people. Um, excuse me. Is, is this when we get to live in a palace or not? What on earth? And again, this is, we get this way. We get this way in our spiritual lives. We get this way in our relationship with God that we're just like, what, okay, that's really cool, this thing that you did for me. Now what is the new, better thing that you're going to do for me? 
And we get into this attitude with, with churches. We get into these attitudes with our families too. If this thing stops being exactly what I want it to be, if it stops doing anything new for me, fresh for me, I want to go somewhere else and let somebody else do something for me because this thing isn't doing it for me anymore. And, and families break up this way. People leave churches this way. People get disgruntled with God this way because they're not doing anything new and special for me right now. I know about all that other stuff, but right now, this is what I want. And we've got to break through this mentality that somehow that a relationship with God is strictly about what God does for me. Now, I want to be clear about something because in a room this large, we've got a diverse group of people, and we'll just talk about two specific groups. There are some of you who are here and you are still in that first phase, and it's 100% okay. You have come here through some, through some brokenness, some absolute need of healing, and you have been hurt by somebody or something. You've been, you've been undone by bad decisions that you've made or pain and hurt that's been caused you. Some, some, and you needed to come here, and you need to be here to, to, to heal. You, you need the power of God to come on you to remake you, to, to connect you with Him to experience God's forgiveness really for the first time, to be healed of a very recent hurt or a lifetime of hurt, and you need to come here and we're going to be your safe place. That's who we want to be for you. And that's the phase that you're in, and, and we have, have no frustration at all about that. But at the same time, I want you to go ahead and have it in the back of your head. Um, there's a reason for it, though. We're, we're preparing you for something. We're, preparing, we're healing you, but ultimately preparing you for a mission that God has for you. But there's also some of us here that a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, we came here for some reason. There was some reason why we ended up here that very first time. And there was something unique and there's something special that God was needing to do in your heart to bring healing and hope to you for the first time or to bring it back to you. And, that, and we were glad and, and awesome. It was awesome for us to be able to be that in your life. But there's a time when, when our mentality needs to shift and break through. It's like this church experience, my experience with God, is not simply about what is the next thing that you can do for me. So there's all these metaphors out there. And I talked about this a few weeks ago if you're out there. Metaphors people have to try to describe the Bible. The Bible's like God's love letter. It's like it's not a love letter. It's too much murder. It's ridiculous to even say it's not a love letter. And it's not an instruction book because it's it's terrible. It's not it doesn't even make sense. It's there's no table there's no table of contents or index or anything that makes sense. I, I've got really complicated issues in my life and there doesn't seem there's no there's like here's what you do. It's it's much more complicated than that. So I don't love it. And people do the same thing for the church. Well, you know, the church, the church is like this. And it's always incomplete and, in, and, and just doesn't quite grasp it. And so I'm going to use one of those today because I choose to. But, I, I, but even in doing so, I recognize that it's incomplete. It's incomplete. There's no one metaphor or description that you can use to describe what the church is. That we're not leaving some significant parts of it out. But I'm going to use this particular illustration because it does help, help us understand this particular aspect of what it is the church has been called to do. And the metaphor that I would like to use is an army hospital, which is different than a regular hospital. A hospital is there, you know, and just, hey, you're sick, you're hurt, something, whatever, we just want to fix you. But if you end up in the army hospital, well, why are you at the army hospital? Well, again, same reason. We're trying to heal you, trying to fix you, something broken, trying to do that. But, 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 but why, though? But why? It ain't because they're not nice. They're nice. 
It isn't that they don't get sad when they see people that are hurt with the broken legs and all the things. Like it's, it, it, but, but why really are they trying to get you better? Because there's a job. There's a mission that has to be done. And we want to come here and provide you with all the care and all of the healing, everything that you need so that you can get back into one piece so that you can be whole again, so we can send you back out there to do the thing that we have been called to do. So in the sense of what we're talking about, this is who God has called us to be at the Grove Church. One of the significant aspects of who we are is we believe that we are an army hospital. That God has called us to take in the hurt and the wounded and the broken. We want to help them get healed and restored and put back together. But why? Because God has given us a mission. He has given us a purpose. And it is time for us to get out there to get healed. And, and now let's, let's, let's go do it. And so they ask him, is this when you're going to uh, become the king? And he says, it's not, it's not your concern at all. You're concerned about this power. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And you're, you think about how that can benefit you. That's not what you need to be thinking about. But, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're right. This is about power. God's power is going to be on you in a way that you've never thought of before, in a way that you've never experienced before. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are going to take this thing that you have seen me do, the hope and the life that we have given people, you are going to take that and you're going to take it everywhere. You're going to take it all around here in Jerusalem where we are. You're going to take it to the surrounding region. You're going to take it to this next place. And ultimately, you're going to take it to the farthest ends of the earth. You're going to take this hope, this message, this healing that God is offering people. You are going to take that everywhere. That's what the power is for. The power is for you to go and be my witnesses. And so as series, we're calling it We Will. And he's like, you think, I, I, you know, you've been around churches long enough. You probably got some ideas. Like probably at some point we're going to fill in the blank here, right? It's like, just like it doesn't make any sense by itself. We will, we will, we will, we will what, right? So at some point you're going to have the unveiling, right? So this is what he says right here. He says, and you will be my witnesses is what he says to them. Well, let's just change, let's just change some pronouns here, right? You will be my witnesses. We will be your witnesses. This is what we will do. This is what we are committing individually and collectively as a church. This is what we will do. We will break through this idea of that simply connection with the church and connection with God is about what I can receive. And we will be your witness. We will do what God has called us to do. We will say yes to the things that God puts before us. We will do whatever it takes to be and do what God has called us to be and do. We will do that. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're just going to see story after story of this group of people, this small group of people, just a few dozen people, and their faithfulness to God, and their willingness to, at this moment, to say, well, okay, we will do it, and their faithfulness and how this movement spreads from a few dozen people to thousands, to thin, tens of thousands of people, and then ultimately, 2,000 years later, to a worldwide movement of over a billion people. And now it is our turn, and we, we will play our role. We will do 
what God has called us to do. We will take what God has given. We will take what God has given us, and we will give it to a world that desperately needs it. So that's real general, right? We will be His witnesses. We will say yes to God, but ultimately... Like, we got to fill in the blanks a little. Like, 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 like what? And here's the thing for me. Like, like, like it's, it's opening week, right, for a, a new series. And, like, 30 things. Like, there's, like, 30 things I want to say. Well, we, what does that mean? What do you want me to do? It's like, i got a list. It's like, 30 things that we need to do. And it would be completely overwhelming. And it, it kind of negates a bit of the purpose of, 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 of why you have a six-week series, right? You can't say all 30 things. So I'm going to do my very best to narrow them down to to. 28, 28 things. So I tell you that God has called you to a mission, that God is calling you to take his hope and his love to, to, to people around you that are broken and to a world that is broken and hurting. And, and some of you th- hear that and think, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that I'm ready for that. And that's a very fair thing to say. And if that's what you feel, I totally understand. And so then what you need to do is like, we will, we will get prepared. We will take the steps we need to get equipped to do and be who God has called us to be. And two very simple ways of doing that, I would say one, is to just make a commitment to say that I'm going to make Sunday morning a priority in my life. Um, it's very easy to kind of turn church into a once a month kind of deal. Maybe a twice-a-month kind of deal. But I'm telling you, there's no other place that you can go other than God's local church where you can be refreshed in this way. You can be connected in this way and, and hear this worship and, and, and to hear God's word and, and to hear messages that are meant to unify us in this mission that God has called us to. It is, it is, it is an energy boost. It is, it is a redirect. And it is something that it just loses its ability of its effectiveness if it's just a monthly activity. And so if you are serious, like I want to be who God's called me to be, but I'm not ready, this is a great way to get ready. It's to say, to make a commitment to say that I'm going to make spiritual growth and connection on Sunday, I'm going to make it a priority. In addition to that, you need to find yourself in, into a small group. You get into a small group. You need to find a way to have your own little platoon of people. Right, your own little platoon where I am known and connected, and I and I can be loved well, and we can grow well together. You need to find that because I've never known anybody long term with a successful growing relationship with God that does not have a small group of people that they're connected with, where they're growing and learning and connecting with God through Jesus together. So, if preparation is what you need, then commit yourself to Sunday. And find your way into a small group. And if you think that's a challenging thing to do, we have an event that's coming up tomorrow night that Mark's going to tell us about that um, will help us, that is, that is designed to help you with that. So that's a couple things. Uh, also, I would say this. Um, the, the easy first steps, I think, in this is to find a place to serve inside the church and find a place to serve outside the church. Because here's the deal. Here's the second best thing that people can say to me when they talk about what they had, the experience they had on Sunday morning. The second best thing that people say to me when they talk about how Sunday was like is, man, I feel like God really did something in my heart and my life today. It's a great thing, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lying. It, it's only the second best thing. The best thing that I hear people say is when they say, man, God did something in my life today 
and he's using you in somebody else's life today. You want to maximize your experience here? You want to start to become his witness? Then, then, then do that. Then find a place where not only you are receiving on Sunday, but you're giving on Sunday. It's a great way to break that mentality. So now I'm not thinking about my Sunday morning experience in, ex- in, in only self-focused terms. And then find a place out there to serve. There's plenty out there in your community, where you work, where you go to school. Um, there's ministries everywhere. There's hurting and broken people everywhere. I don't, I don't have to make a list. There, it's, it, there's an abundance of them. But to say that sometimes I'm going to find a place to serve on Sunday school, and then I'm going to find a place Monday through Saturday to do the same. And then suddenly now you've got this positive momentum. You're moving forward. You're doing something. And the specific mission, the specific way that God is calling you to be his witness begins to unfold. But it doesn't happen when you're standing still. You've got to get going. And this is how this passage ends, verse 9. After he said this, Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Guys, you're going to receive power. And the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And you are going to be my witnesses everywhere. That's what I've called you to do. And then just a moment later, they're like, we don't know. Is he coming back or what? Is he, I guess we just wait here for him to come back and then we'll just follow him around again? Has he got something else he wants to do, say to me, to do? I mean, something, something. Is that why you're standing around? Supposed to be. That 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 there, verse nine through eleven. That's you on Tuesday. That's you a week from Thursday. That's me next month, right? Raw raw pep rally. Raw raw witnesses. We will we will. We'll all wear the shirts. Have a big party tomorrow night. We all get excited. We know what God's called us to do, and then we suddenly just find ourselves kind of like, man, it's like it could just be a little more clear. And Mike would know. What to do? But this is what we are. We will. We will do it. We will break free. We will move past a self-focused spirituality. We will become his witnesses. We will take the steps we need to get solidified, to get trained, to get equipped. We will take a step out there and serve each other and have a Sunday morning experience that is both giving and receiving. We, we will find places outside of this building to serve a, a hurting and broken people. We will figure out ways to be connected in God's big picture plan to take his hope and message all over the world. We will do that, but we'll get there a step at a time. It's a six-week series, and you've got a lot of years ahead in your life. We just have to stop staring at the sky. We have to stop thinking about what's in this for me, and we have to make a commitment that we will be his witness. So we're going to have some time to respond and just kind of ask God to kind of help us have the motivation and think through the next steps. As always, our prayer team is back there. love to pray with you if you need that. Communion is available. You don't have to be a member here, just a follower of Christ. Prayer candles, that's a great way. If God's putting somebody specific on your heart, a group of people or a particular individual, praying at the prayer candles is a great way to kind of commit that prayer to the Lord. You can pray at the cross. We have an opportunity to give. Another way that God breaks the the selfishness in our own life is by us having a mentality. We're going to take our resources together, and we will do this together. But God's got a vision for you. 
He's got a big picture vision. He's got a plan. He's got an idea about how he's going to use you to make a huge difference in the world. And we will be committed as a church to help you find it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the awesome people here. I thank you for the awesome stories of God, how you brought them here. God, how you healed them. How you've done incredible things in their lives. God, how you're still doing that. And God, I just pray that you would give us right now, just give us a heart for the hundreds, thousands of people all around us right now, God, who need that very same thing. And God, ultimately, the millions and millions all over the world who need the same. God, I thank you for this church and what a great job you have done with these awesome people to create this environment where people of all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of paths can come and find healing from you. God, I thank you for that. And I pray that now that you would take us to this next place. We would have a desire and a passion to take that hope out there to a world that desperately needs it. And we love you, God. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.